You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to be standing here and chatting to you. Um, The way I wanted to do this originally was I thought, you know, at the end of the year, we've had dozens of preachers over the year. And if anybody's like me, while people are preaching, I often think, oh, I'd love to ask them what they meant by that. Or I'd love to ask a question. Or I'd love to contribute. So I thought whatever I was going to preach today or speak about, that it's kind of open to be interactive. I'm more than happy that people interrupt me, ask questions, say whatever they want to say. Heckle. You know the, the Baptist churches in, in America, the, the, in, the, in the Deep South. The, there's such an interaction between the audience or the congregation and the preacher, and we kind of don't get that. So if you want to do that, that's fine. I've got a theme. So if you don't interrupt... If yeah, you, yeah, go for it, John. There you go. <laughs> But I will carry on with my gentle theme. And what is uh, interesting about today is that, uh, well, I'll tell you how it developed. Over the last week, I thought I had a message, and I've been working on it. I've been working on scriptures. I've been kind of practicing delivery, and I've put an awful amount of work into my preach. And then sitting in bed last night with my notes, Something came over me where I think it was, I hope it was God. I think it was God. He said, change your talk. And I said to him, I can't. Because I've been, I've been rehearsing this for a week and I've done all the research, everything. He said, change your talk. I told Anne and she kind of said, well, you've got a problem. But she said, I'll tell you what, I'll pray for you. She prayed for me. She said, sleep on it and maybe something will happen by tomorrow morning. (laughs) Which I did. So the talk I'm going to deliver today is actually started at 5.30 this morning. And as I heard God last night saying change, I hope somewhere in the back of my subconscious while I was sleeping, he's helped me change into what he wants me to change into. But you can be the judge of that. But I know at this time of the year, we, I, I think back over the years, the, the last or the second to last preach of the year, people are saying we're hot full of the year that's gone. We've had a difficult year. Everybody's always had a difficult year last year. But we're hoping for a good year next year. But of course, the good year next year becomes the hot full year at the end of next year. So there's a kind of a cycle which always repeats itself. And so I was uh, so uh, blessed by Leanne when I got her message, her homework, that she's saying, let's look back on the last year and even beyond the last year uh, and let's detail what we feel thankful for. Because however difficult a year is, there's always a lot to be thankful for. And I think uh, that was revealed today um, in the prayer meeting with so many people, had so many positive inputs to make about what's happened to them this year or last or this year still, and what's happened in the past and even generations past. 
And that was amazing, Leanne. So thanks for your your insight there. Uh, what I said to Stuart when he asked me if I would talk uh, this weekend, I said I'd continue with a theme that I spoke about in, I think, September, October, about 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, which um, Brechi and I decided was a blueprint for what it was to be a Christian. Remember that, Brechi? You, you were looking for a blueprint, and I said, I've got the blueprint, or the Bible's got the blueprint. And so that, um, looking at 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, it is a blueprint for what it is to be a Christian. But what it didn't do, and what I didn't really do, is to break it down into a number of components on how God helps us operate as a Christian. And so hopefully today I'll be able to throw some light on that. But let me just quickly uh, read the scripture first. And because I can't see very well, I might ask Franz and Brechi to help me with scriptures. This is not rehearsed. I say nothing I'm doing today is rehearsed. Um, but there is a sequence to what I'm going to talk about, and the scriptures will follow that sequence. So if I need some help with the scriptures, um, I'm going to ask you to help me there. Thanks, guys. But 2 Peter 1 verse 3 and 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through these promises, you, which is his audience, may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption and in the world caused by evil desires. So we can read six or seven lines. There's lots of moving parts, lots of amazing truths in that. But the one that struck me the most and actually caused me, maybe it was in the, in the middle of the night, in the depths of my sleep, it came up in my subconscious or in my spirit, is the phrase that says, so that you may participate in the divine nature. And it struck me when I woke up this morning, that is one of the most amazing things you will ever hear. And it's easy to gloss over it because we, God has designed us when we become believers, that we participate in the divine nature. How can that be possible? How can we participate in who God is, in what God is. It's, uh, it's frightening. Can I have your notes? I wrote something down. And while Emil was uh, worshipping, I wrote a few things down. That third song of his, which talks about who God is, who you are, and then it says, I am loved by you, who I am. I am who I am. So it's who God is and who I am. Yeah. And that's part of participating in the divine nature. Amen. So I'm going to go through a few scriptures and a few um, pointers. So what is the divine nature? And how does the divine nature involve us and there are two scriptures which I'll read first some of the longer ones I might ask uh, for some help 
And the first one I'm going to talk about, which is a direct answer of this, is Galatians 6.15. And you can look them up if you like, or you can let me read it. It says, neither circumcision, this is Paul talking to the Galatian church, which is mainly a Jewish church. We must realize that. He's mainly talking to Jews. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. So while Paul was um, ministering and, and evangelizing the, 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 the regions around the Mediterranean and the, and the Middle East, there was lots of issues to do with the Jews, of course, felt that because they were the circumcised, they were the chosen of God, but that the Gentiles who were not circumcised were not the chosen of God. And even though the Jews accepted that Gentiles could come into the faith, they almost looked on them as second-class citizens, and they actually wanted them to become more Jewish in the way they were. And here's Paul saying, forget about these stupid arguments about whether it's advantageous to be circumcised or not. The only thing that counts is that when you become born again, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a new creation. And in Galatians 5, the, the chapter earlier, uh, verse 6, it says the same. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Those things are meaningless. What counts is faith expressing itself in love. So if you put the two together and do a com combined interpretation, what Paul is saying is that the new creation of believers that we have become in Christ are people. The essence of who we are, the essence of what we do, is that we express that faith in Jesus through our new creation nature, and that is expressed in love towards each other, towards each other, and towards everybody we come in contact with. So that's point number one of what it is to participate in the divine nature. It's an amazing thing, actually. Any comments? A comment. What are we praying about today? Absolutely right. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and that's all part. In fact, what amazed me about uh, the little bit of research I did this morning is that there are so many scriptures, and we're going to see some of them, which say the same thing throughout the New Testament. That's why we must be reading the New Testament scriptures, because only there do we actually get, in the Old Testament, we get the history of Israel. We get what, what, what happened you know, from Exodus 19 all the way up to the crucifixion and, and, and beyond. But don't forget that Jesus never, Je Jesus was in a difficult position because he came to bring in the new covenant, but he was still a man under the law. And so he couldn't 
minister the new covenant until it came in, but it only came in after his death. So what he was doing, and that's why he spoke in parables, he was trying to explain about the new covenant, but he couldn't explain what the new covenant was. And that's why he appointed Paul to explain what the new covenant was. And that's why all these nuggets Absolutely. So what was the purpose? Why? Why he was God? Why could he not just say straight what was happening? Why did he have to speak in parables because it wasn't the right time? And why was it Paul who had to be the person who could speak it plainly? Yeah. What, so what's the reason for that delay? Okay, so Jesus, I, I, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a difficult question and I'm not sure if I can answer it fully, but let's give it a go. So Jesus was a man born under the law. So he was under the authority of the law. He was under the authority of Moses, under the authority of the prophets. And even though there are numerous situations at the transfiguration, for example, where his glory was revealed in the company of Moses and Elijah. And remember the cloud came down and when the cloud rose, only Jesus was left. And that was a depiction of the transfer of authority from the law, from Moses and the prophets. And when God revealed Jesus on his own, it was showing that he was about to come into all authority. But while Moses and Elijah, or what, during his lifetime, he was under the law. And what did he say? He was revealing it, but he said to, the, to his apostles or their disciples with him, he said, don't tell anybody. Yeah. You see, he, he couldn't go out and start declaring the things that were going to happen when the law was terminated because he would have been killed even quicker because yeah. that would have offended the Jews. It offended them anyway later, but there was a process. He had to go through the process. And funnily enough, the talk that I was going to be talking about today was part of that process. But I decided it was. But that makes sense. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Uh, can I just say that um, God, at that transfiguration, God said, This is my beloved son, listen to him. So, from then, from when, once Jesus had um, cut the new covenant in his blood, we were only to listen to him. Yeah. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2 says, In times past and of course the letter was written to the Hebrews it's, uh, it says in times past God spoke to us which is the Jews in many ways through the prophets in many ways and in at, and many times he says but now he's speaking to us through his son so it's only after the cross and when the ter when the when the old covenant was terminated but Jesus was no longer there and he couldn't use his apostles. He didn't want, uh, he wanted to use somebody who was steeped in the law, who knew the law, but didn't know him. He didn't want Paul to be confused by what Jesus might have said during, during his lifetime. And we know that when, 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 when Jesus appointed Paul, Paul went away for, I think, 14 years and God just downloaded downloaded everything about the new covenant. In fact, in Galatians 1 and 2, 
Um, I think Paul said, I did not get this from any man. I only got what I got from Jesus Christ himself. And it's so that he wouldn't be distracted from hearing what Jesus said, uh, even though Jesus did speak plainly at times, but uh, uh, Jesus wanted Paul, somebody from who, who, who knew the law, was under the law, but was not familiar with Jesus himself and wouldn't have been distracted by what the apostles could. Peter and the other apostles actually didn't understand the new covenant until Paul brought it. They understood some of it, but they didn't have a full understanding in 2 Peter 3, uh, which is following the, the, the two chapters after the one I'm talking about. Peter actually said that our brother Paul um, basically was bringing a new form of scripture. And Peter had learned from Paul about the new covenant, which kind of started unfolding as Paul developed his ministry. Okay, could say a lot more. Okay. And did you want to say something? I just wanted to say if anyone wants to contribute, I can just bring a mic to them. Their voice isn't loud enough. So the only thing I'm going to say about this is the more you talk, the longer this takes. So, but but I'm, suits me. Okay, so we've looked at the new creation. And what did the new creation give rise to? The new creation gave rise to a new self. So Francois, on page two, maybe you could read those three scriptures. There are three of them, and we'll kind of, if you don't mind reading them, it's Colossians 2.10, 3.10, and Ephesians 4. Okay, okay have you got them there? So this is Colossians 2.10. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Colossians 3.10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and has put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. I'll just go straight on with the Thank Ephesians 4, yep. 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Thanks, Franz. So if we put these three together, can you see that the Paul is talking about the new self and the new self replaces everything that was problematic with the Jews throughout the whole history of, of Judaism. How many times did God talk about their uncircumcised hearts, their stiff-neckedness, their rebelliousness, their unfaithfulness? It On and on and on. It was all the way through the Old Testament. And funnily enough, in Deuteronomy 30, 
it's right about verse 6 I think it is I'm not going to ask I'm not going to look it up but he says because he knows that the Jews are going to be unable to perform under the law they're going to disobey the law and they've already started disobeying the law we know in in Exodus 32 when Moses was up the mountain even just getting the law and they created the golden calf and God said I myself will circumcise your hearts and that was a prophetic word going forward 1500 years to the scripture where Jesus himself circumcises our hearts it cuts out the old nature the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam which corrupted our spirits so when our spirit when we're born again our spirit is regenerated and there's this miraculous mystical circumcision of the heart by Jesus Jesus that says Jesus does it himself and that takes it cuts out the old self which is the sinful nature and it replaces the old self with a circumcised heart a heart that is in alignment with God in alignment with the Holy Spirit amazing scripture the second one renewed in knowledge now when I spoke last time I spoke um, in, in, uh, in, in 2 Peter 1 it says through the knowledge of him who called us through his goodness and glory and I made the point last time um, that once we are born again once we've exercised faith to become a born-again believer the most important thing that happens is when we get knowledge we know who we are because knowledge is born out of faith faith is something uh, the Bible talks a lot I think it's Hebrews 11 about faith and hope but hoping for something is something which doesn't exist even faith faith is something which we don't perceive we we, we trust for it and we trust God for it but we don't actually see it but once we have knowledge about something then we see it in front of us in fact in Romans 8 Paul says who hopes for what they already have so once we have a knowledge of who Jesus is once we have a knowledge of what it is to have a new self to be a new creation we can operate out of that knowledge we don't need to be wondering whether we can do it whether we can't do it will God help us will he not help us yes we believe his promises but actually when we operate with knowledge Jesus operate with operated with full knowledge of who he was who his identity was in and he never wavered because no matter what came against him the the, the insults of the Pharisees ultimately the cross itself he never wavered because he knew what his mandate was he knew what God had called him to and he knew he could do it so so knowledge is actually highly important for a new creation believer because our self is now founded on what we know what we know we are and what we know God wants us to do and once you've got the knowledge you don't have to worry about it you just go and do it and then the third one Ephesians also talks about talks about uh, casting off the old self and to be made new and to put on the new self and the amazing thing about this new self is that 
as a new creation. We are created in righteousness and holiness. Holiness was something and righteousness which the Jews strived for for 1500 years and they never achieved it. It was impossible. And at the instant we get saved, we become new creations. We get perfect knowledge of who God is. We get perfect knowledge of who we are. We become righteous and holy, which qualifies us to go to heaven. So that's the one of the promises, of course, is the promise of eternal life. And the reason why we can fulfill that promise of eternal life is because we are confident in the righteousness and holiness that God has given us. It's not our righteousness. It's not our holiness. It's God's gift through Jesus. So that's the second part of what it is to be a new creation. The third one, what does the new creation look like? Does anybody know? Apart from the people with my notes. What does the new creation look like? Looks like Jesus. Thank you. And I'll read this. They're short scriptures. The new self. So the new self. So we've cast off the old self. Our old self has been circumcised out of us by Jesus. And now we have the new self. 1 John 3 verse 2 says, We will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We will be like him. It almost seems um, insulting that in fact I'll, when I read the next scripture, I'll, or sacrilegious, to be putting ourselves in the sa same category of God as God is. Because clearly in many respects we look at ourselves in our natural state and our physical state and our mental state and we think we aren't like Jesus, we can't be like God. But actually that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we will be like him. And in the next scripture, is, is, is Romans 8.29. For those that God foreknew, so this e election of Christians and of believers goes way back. Predestined, right from the beginning. It talks about that in Ephesians. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So we are exactly what you said there, Trev. We are conformed into the likeness of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember we were, uh, Anne and I were giving some, we were presenting some tapes um, oh, several years ago. Uh, from some talks on from Rob Rufus. Some of you may know Rob Rufus. Um, he was a, a pastor in Australia who went and started a church in Hong Kong. And um, he had a series of conferences called the Glory and Grace Conferences. And a lot of what he spoke about was righteousness and this conformity with the, with the image of, of Jesus. And he, he did a series of 12 talks and we presented these talks to a whole lot of people in our church and outside our church. And when it came to this conformed to the likeness of God and being truly righteous and holy, being as righteous as God himself. His son. Righteous as his son. As his son, yes. 
one of the ladies in the audience was a, an elder in, a, in another church. And she looked very uncomfortable with this. And she said, to, after the, I said, any questions? She said, John, I think we have to be careful. She says, we don't want to go around telling people we are God. And I said, well, nobody's saying we are God. What I'm saying, and in fact, I'm not saying anything. What the Bible is saying is that we are conformed to the likeness of Jesus, his son. We are conformed to the likeness. We become like he is. We have the same nature. We have his righteousness. We have his holiness. We are qualified to live in heaven with him. So it's not saying that we are God. Nobody would say that. But let's not understate the incredible value that God has given us through our new creation, our new self, the casting off of the old self, and being conformed into his likeness. It's something we should be celebrating. It's something we should be grateful for. It's something that we should be using. It's something he's given us, not just to be a passive participant, but to be an active participant through sharing what he is like. And we can do that. It's not always easy. And the next thing is that the new creation believer, the new self, has the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So what does the mind of Christ have? What does Jesus' mind look like? What did Jesus think? How did he think of God? How did he think of himself? How did he think of other people? So one thing that the mind of Christ, I think, has, it has perfect knowledge of who God is. That song we sang uh, from Emil this morning, was just a, it's, a, it's a wonderful song that. The mind of Christ knows God, knows who God is. But it goes beyond that. The mind of Christ also knows who we are in God, in Christ. So we have that, 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 that nature. It knows that we have it. And the mind of Christ brings confidence. I said that earlier. We don't have to question whether we can or whether we will. It's the mind of Christ knows what God's calling is. Yeah. It has the knowledge of the calling and it has the knowledge that it has the capacity to fulfill the calling. The only problem with most of us, I think Stuart called my talk, what we have and what we do with it. The question isn't what we've got. The question is what we do with it. Amen. And the mind of Christ helps us get there knowing that we have the mind of Christ. I like to put it this way. We are body, soul and spirit. Our spirit is the only part of us which, in, in my view, I think if I understand Genesis correctly, that our spirit, God created us to be like his spirit. We are, in, in his image and likeness. And God is a spirit, so the, the image of God in us is our spirit. But the spirit that God gave Adam was corrupted through the unbelief, actually. 
we won't spend too much time on that and his spirit became corrupted by unbelief and by a sinful nature which Adam developed through disobeying God we've inherited that sinful nature so our spirit is actually contaminated by the sinful nature and what happens is that the body and soul which are that contaminated sinful nature they rule the way we behave that's the that's the 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 carnal man that the Bible talks about but once we become born again a number of things happened and we've dealt with some of them our spirit becomes regenerated it becomes perfectly in harmony with God's spirit and because we have the mind of Christ we have the ability to bring our body and our soul also more in conformity with the perfection of our spirit so let me let me give the example of Jesus Jesus there was an absolute harmony between the perfection of his spirit the perfection of his mind because he had he was God himself he had the mind of God and then his body came into line with what his spirit and his mind told him so so Jesus lived the perfect sinless life because there was no gap between the perfection of his spirit and the way his mind related to that and the way his body related to the mind and the spirit they were all in harmony all one but with us I call it the sanctification gap uh, Hebrews 10 14 says that we we are, we are created perfect he, he's made perfect those who are being sanctified so with us there's actually a sanctification gap so our spirit becomes perfect and we have the capacity to bring our mind and our body into line with the perfection of our spirit and that is the re renewing of the mind in, in Romans 12 it's to bring the whole being to become part of what God wants us to be and what he's created us to be and he's given us the capacity to be provided we take advantage of that. what we've got and what do we do with it and that's the other thing so once we have a renewed mind which comes into alignment with the perfection of our spirit we are able to live a godly life it's not impossible to live a godly life what did Peter say 1 Peter 2 sorry 1 Peter 2 Peter 1 his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life and well, Jesus was love on the earth he said I do nothing except what I hear from my father so yeah. he's always in contact with his father yeah. he wanted to be an expression of yes. the perfect will of his father love it yeah and um, I remember what one pastor said one day the son of a mature Christian is one who thinks in line with the Spirit of God yes yeah. so our thought process must yeah. always be yeah. in line with what what is God expressing yeah. through yeah. his word because yeah. that's what Jesus did yes yeah. I agree and that's why I said that that sanctification gap that when our mind and our bodies come in total harmony with the perfection of our spirit it achieves exactly what Trevor is saying yeah. Yeah. Uh, going back to what you said about being made in the image uh, yeah. of, of, or likeness of God uh, if we go back to the creation that's what God said he's making yes. man in his image yes yeah and what did the serpent say to uh, to Eve? If you eat 
this you will be like God. <laughs> God had already said we are like him. Yeah. Yeah. So the serpent put that doubt and that's what we're still fighting with today. <laughs> are we made in the image of God? Are we like God? So that's what Jesus came to yeah, yeah. to to enhance that yes. uh, plan. Yes. Plan yes. Of it's the restoration of the plan that started yeah. with yes. Adam. Yes. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Yes. Thanks, Nons. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Very good. Is it on? Thanks, Amy. That was further amplified when Jesus was arrested. He had to be kissed, and we all laughed when I read that scripture now uh, about us not being, not thinking of ourselves as beautiful or different. But Jesus had to be recognized by a kiss to be arrested because he was that normal. And that's the image of Christ. That's the image of God. He's in every single one of us but just normal. Yes. Yeah. And that is why he had to be kissed on his cheek to be recognized by yeah. the people that arrested him. Anybody else? No, I, 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 I'm going to pray for us generally, I think. But is there anybody... I'm going to pray for us generally, but is there anybody who... I think one of the things that comes out of uh, these scriptures and what, it, what amazes me is that it's throughout the Bible you know, it's not just isolated a few isolated whenever Paul writes to a church he tells that church something about everything and so that's why you find it in Ephesians you find it in Colossians you find it in Thessalonians particularly Romans it's, it's everywhere and, if, uh, and, and the difficulty that many people have is they think it might be sort of an isolated feature for some people, but it's for all of us. But many people struggle with the identity of understanding and knowing that actually it does apply to them. They think of themselves as ordinary, but they are not so ordinary that God can't do this for them and hasn't already done it for them. And I just thought if anybody would like us to pray for them, we might in, in groups or individuals, just to pray this over people, people who might have had doubts about who they are, doubts about their capability in Christ, doubts about the fact that they can be called to ministry, doubts that they are they have perfect spirits, that they have the capacity to bring their, their body and soul in line with their spirit. In other words, have any doubts about anything that 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4 actually says. We could pray for you individually. I'd be happy to... You can surround people. Is there anybody who would like prayer individually for that? What I'll say on that is that identity is locked up in looking the same. And, and this identity we are talking about is about not looking the same. So I'm saying it. Because we can't look the same. You've got God in you and I've got God in me, but we're each too different. So it's kind of like getting your head around the fact that this identity word doesn't mean we're going to be the same. I'm going to be Amy. Amy's going to be Valerian. Get our heads around our uniqueness while still having a similar DNA strand. So the similarity comes of however unique we are. Don't forget it.
Thank you for listening. 